showing them what the expectations in terms of a level of effort should be and why that is, is really key to find that balance is better. And, and with that approach of showing them the way versus showing them the door, we actually had a 50% bounce up rate. Instead of if you just wait until you show them the door, you have like a 90% bounce out rate, right? Or more. And of the 50% that bounced up, many of them became our top sellers. I think it's terribly important to insist on individual values. Learning Culture Podcast. Initiative, creation, all these things which we value. It's now possible to make organizations on a larger scale than was ever possible before. Learning Culture Podcast. Teach people to analyze the kind of things that are said to them. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Learning Culture Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Barry. This is a show about cultures of continuous learning inside companies. And joining me this week is Katie Pariso. Katie's the head of enablement at Trust Radius. She's been in that role for a year and a half and brings to it lessons from a career that started in social marketing. If you've ever heard of the saying, don't mess with Texas, that's social marketing. Don't Mess With Texas is an anti-litter campaign that the state of Texas or the city of Austin, Texas originated. Katie was working at an agency that came up with those kind of campaigns. I forgot to ask her this. She may have actually been the agency that came up with that one because she is based in Austin. The idea behind it is advertising that changes behavior for social causes. So like anti-litter, stopping smoking, water conservation, and in our conversation, we go deep into the lessons that Katie learned from that career, which is actually fascinating. In, as an intern, was interviewing people who were littering, who were smoking. So they had these sort of unconscious behaviors because, especially in the littering case, we're not actually aware that they were littering. Their belief system was that littering was bad, but their actions were otherwise. And so she was able to unpack and, and resolve that conflict and feed those insights to the copywriting team, the creative team, to come up with really powerful ad campaigns like Don't Mess With Texas. So this episode is packed with examples, practical things that you can use, and almost templates with, with some specific questions that Katie uses as go-to questions. We spend the rest of this conversation applying these lessons to coaching and enabling people. And so you'll learn how it's important to always close the loop with people once you've asked them questions that get them to reveal things about themselves. You'll learn why it's important to not assume that what works for you works for others. You'll also learn a two-by-two -two framework that looks at efforts and outcomes and how to categorize people based on their relative strength in those areas and a whole bunch of other things about how to take the practice of coaching at a high level and scale that through an organization of sales leaders and managers. So lots to unpack here. It was so, so fun to talk to Katie. I know you're going to enjoy this too. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my episode with Katie Pariso. Katie, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. So am I right in saying this is your first ever podcast guest appearance? It is my very first podcast appearance. So thank you wow. for being my first. No, thank you for, for, being, for making this show your first. I'm excited to, to get into this with you. I think from the little, um, or at least from the introductions I've had to you and then the little I've sort of 
learned about you, there's a lot I think that we're going to find in common and I'm excited to explore that. So before we get into, so you're the head of enablement at Trust Radius. You've been there for about a year and a half, right? That's correct. Okay. Um, before we get into to that role, I want to go back in your career a little bit to a role that you had uh, for, for how long? Um, and, and yeah, this actually, maybe for, before you answer that, just to tell us what it is. Yeah. So at the very beginning of my career, I started out in advertising at an advertising agency that whole mission was around um, making the world a better place for people and for the environment. So that was their whole mission. And so they called yeah. it social marketing. And it was really focused on uh, changing people's behavior through marketing. So anti-smoking, anti-litter, water conservation, things like that. Yeah. Awesome. So how long how long did you do that for? And also, could you give some context to like what you were doing? What were you responsible for in that sort of workflow? Yeah. So I started as an unpaid intern between my <laughs> sophomore and junior year at university at the University of Texas here in Austin. And mm-hmm. uh, I was working in um, the account side. So working directly with the customers to create the briefs of like, what are they trying to accomplish? What are their goals? And then I would brief internally the creative team, the media team, et cetera, to like come up with all of the ideas and the mm. strategy behind what we were going to present back to try to win the account. So my role mm. was very much account management. And I was the face of the agency, even as an intern mm. on some of the accounts that I was working on. Um, and as an intern, that also meant I did everything and anything that the, that the account Else, needed, which yeah. meant a lot of research, a lot of research and getting yeah. to be a part of these focus groups, which were key to getting to the strategy when you're trying to change people's behaviors. So I helped coordinate the focus groups. I monitored and participated in the focus groups and then helped to create the um, report out of what we learned. And then that mm. all tied back to the strategy docs that went to the creative team so that they could come up with how do we bring this to life and help yeah. meet people where they are on this topic today yeah. and bring them where we want them to be going forward in the name of the campaign that we were trying to work on. And I ended up, mm. I started as an unpaid intern for a semester and then I became a paid intern and I did an, a rotation in every group. So I did account management several times and then paid media, media planning, creatives. I did a little bit of everything because I awesome. wanted to to know the agency inside and out so that I could be the best account manager that I could be. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. And I feel like that ability to cross, to kind of go across all those different functions um, came from that initial experience doing the research and kind of a lot of discovery there as well, right? You're listening to pain points, understanding what they need would want. Yes. So I was introduced to discovery and the idea of discovery very early in my career. And we basically described it as peeling back the onion. And so when you're doing a focus group, you start with unaided questions, which is the beginning of open-ended questions in discovery, Mm. right? So tell me about your experience with this. What does that look like? What does that feel like? How does it Mm. make you feel, you know, next week, et cetera, like get into that thing. And then you start with your aided questions that are tied back to 
the things you actually care about to start honing things in. But that way you get a really good neutral feel without you yeah. pushing one way or the other as to where they stand right now. And then you can hone it in to get more and more focused on the things you actually care about. Yeah, I love that. And just, just like to be clear, who are the, the sort of customers? Who are you interviewing here? Yeah, so the customers, a lot of times were state agencies. So like, don't mess with uh, Texas, place for anti-litter, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And then the people who are involved in the focus group were actually, uh, depending on the year, whoever from the research perspective was most commonly littering or was wasting uh. the much, most water and fit into that uh, bucket. Uh. And in a lot of cases, uh, which is very interesting in the focus group side of things, especially with like the anti-litter campaign, it, uh, one year it was a, it was men 24 to like 50 and it was mm-hmm. mostly stuff that was just flying out of the back of their pickup trucks around the state <laughs> yeah. that they didn't even realize they were littering and when you ask them the Aiden question of do you think littering is bad they all said yes yeah. and then when you brought up and connected the dots to if stuff flies out of the back of your truck, is that littering? They all thought it was no, right? And yeah. so then the campaign kind of writes itself, yeah. makes you ve- makes it very clear that if stuff flies out of your truck, that is littering. And we had, yeah. uh, and then in other years, it was uh, more on the younger side and it was cigarette butts. They didn't want to be caught smoking. Uh, yeah. And so then we had like a whole set of cigarette butts and and education of how long it takes them and there's even like a very famous Matthew McConaughey uh commercial that we did that that uh based on the timing only ran a handful of times it kind of became like the 1984 commercial Uh, that only ran once like you either saw it or you didn't uh kind of situation (laughs) that's cool yeah that's so cool so yeah so um I feel like what you you're uncovering these unconscious behaviors, uh, unconscious motivations. Um, you're also uncovering the like the deep belief systems there that that people like that are counterpoints to those unconscious behaviors, right? So so all of that surfacing of that information is is what's valuable. I must have I must imagine the the people you were interviewing had like behavior change moments right there in front of you. Yeah. So you got to see their aha moments, which is very cool. Mm. Um, mm. We also did a campaign on anti-smoking and the research showed that if you made it to 18 without smoking, which that was the technical legal age of buying cigarettes, um, yeah. that you only had a 20% chance of becoming addicted to cigarettes and, and actually trying them. But most people, as we know, try them much sooner than that. So yeah. we actually did a mobile TV ad campaign where we had a mobile TV station that we would drive around Texas and record kids during their health class and gym classes. And uh, one of the kind of skits that we could do with them is ask them trivia questions about tobacco and watch that aha moment happen on camera and then use that for web ads and TV ads. Uh, they could oh, also nice. make up skits or raps or whatever they wanted. We really left it up to them, but it was really interesting to see them react to statistics about yeah. tobacco 
um, just tell you like in their own words, how gross or ridiculous or whatever it was. And then it made Mm. for great content that we could use uh, in our advertising efforts as well. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. Okay, so we're going to connect the dots here to how you're applying these lessons because I think when it's sort of becoming a theme of this podcast, it's it's the learning culture podcast about the learning culture and organizations, but everyone's journey of learning as well. And you've taken these lessons into the work you're doing now. Um, before we jump to that stage, anything else that you learned while doing that? Maybe it was later on writing copy or anything else. You what did you learn about behavior change? So what I learned about behavior change is that if you ask people in the right ways, they will tell you everything you need to know to help them change that behavior. And that is the golden thread that I've pulled through from that early experience into every marketing and enablement role that I've ever had. Um, It is amazing to me even to this day, especially the larger your organization is, how siloed marketing and enablement and sales can be. And if you build that bridge to the other team and ask them their opinion or their experience or their thoughts, they will give them to you wholeheartedly, especially if they think you can help them. Do you believe that most people want to change their behavior? I think that most people want to be better a better version of themselves um i think especially salespeople and anyone directly on a field team that interacts with customers and prospects understands the intrinsic value of if i even became one percent better at this thing that is more money or more value or whatever the outcome is that's tied directly to my compensation or my perceived value of what i do day in and day out so I think especially yeah. people in those roles are driven to be better and want that have that yeah. want. They don't always know how to articulate it or ask for yeah. it. Um, and they do need to feel like the person that they're giving that feedback to genuinely wants it and will do something with it. So that's also the other thing that I've learned is if I'm going to ask for someone to fill out a survey and give me feedback about something or be part of a focus group or whatnot. I want to share back those learnings and this is what I heard and this is what I'm doing based on this. Yeah. Close the loop. Otherwise it just feels like I'm asking you and asking you and asking you, but if you don't directly see those outcomes and you connect those dots, when you see it a month later, when it's finally done and approved and polished and designed, then it, it loses its effect. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely that instant validation to say like this thing you shared is meaningful and it's and and it was you know brave of you to share it, whatever like to to encourage it again basically right yes um I do feel like as well there's a there's a question I get a lot which is like how do you get people motivated to uh, learn you know to to go to training to do something differently like you know practice. Um, and you, I think you kind of alluded to this now, like this idea of the motivation is almost there. It's like intrinsic in people. Everyone wants to be better. And especially in sales, there is, a, that's the culture, right? That's like why, almost why a lot of people get into sales um, is to get better at it. And so there's almost like a, it's like a counterintuitive 
point here. Like it's there already. You just have to learn how to unlock it. Do you agree with that? I definitely agree with that. And I think asking the question of what's keeping you up at night can help Mm. you hone in to what it is that they want to get better at and what they want to practice and what they want to know best practices on and like where they want to hone that in. And if they don't know, it's like, I don't know, I'm just so anxious, but they don't know why. Then asking more questions, doing that discovery, doing that, you know, almost like a little mini focus group to help them get to that core thing. And then that's where you've, highlighted it for them so that they go oh yeah no that's that is where i want to spend my time how can mm-hmm. i get better at that thing yeah you know when this is made well it's a tangent for me only because i know what i was going to ask you next but a, a follow-up to that is that you um you can sometimes in, in that i love that question because it's so open like you know you can sometimes get a response to that that could be a personal thing like a family issue or um have has that happened to you and and how do you what do you do when when that happens yeah that has definitely happened to me and that tells me two things uh one they trust me because they're willing to be Mm. even that much more vulnerable like work vulnerable is one thing personal vulnerable is a different level right so that's a good thing um the second thing that that tells me is that that's a blocker for them to focus on anything that I want them to focus on. So if we don't work through that, whether it's together or they feel empowered to work through that, it's going to continue to block them from the thing that I'm trying to help them with Mm. and and my Mm. own agenda, if you will. Um, And so my ultimate agenda is to help them be better at whatever they're doing. Um, So this is a blocker to that. Um, I am a big fan of Brene Brown. So to answer your question, how do I address that? Uh, I do a lot of tell me more. What that Mm. seems really hard. Like I, I can understand how that would be really difficult to concentrate on this. What does your support system look like? What, like just try to help them get to a better place, but it's really just listening and showing a lot of empathy is really the main focus. And then if at the end of that discussion, they feel better about that thing and more open to other things because that's kind of been lifted and taken off their plate, then that was a successful conversation, even if it had nothing to do with enablement or our company or our product we're selling or promoting anything. Yeah. And this is the other thing for, for sales leaders out there, sales managers to know, like you don't have to fix the problem. When you say... You, you've just lifted that burden. You just, you did nothing more than listen to them, let them kind of get it off their chest. And like, it's almost actually, I'd say you don't want to try and fix it, try and resist the urge, right? Yes. I don't want to try to fix it because that opens up a whole other can of worms that I, mm-hmm. as a professional, don't even necessarily want to get into. And yeah. nine times out of 10, people don't want you to fix their stuff or it's not fixable. They just yeah. want someone to listen and be empathetic and, and hear them out so that they can get it off their mind and off their chest and be able to move forward. Yeah. This is what, uh, it's one of like the biggest things that I've had to learn, um, especially as a husband. Mm-hmm. Like I have this tendency to want to fix the problem. And so sometimes, and often actually my wife would be like, just 
just stop, just listen. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's very common. And so uh, my husband and I are about to celebrate our 17th wedding anniversary. And he ah, knows when he I does. start to complain about something, he goes, okay, wait, what's my role? Am I trying to fix it? <laughs> yeah. Am I just listening? Or do you just want me to hug you and say that sucks? And I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah. This is what I want yeah, to yeah. do. <laughs> it was well coached. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, no, and, and, and that's like, a freeing thing to say, like, oh, you don't actually have to fix this. Like, it's actually like a, whew, a relief, right? Like, I, I just have to listen. Okay, you I just can have do that. To, yeah, you just have to listen. And sometimes because you're not part of the situation, the solution can seem really clear to you. And to your point, you might want to try to help solve it for them. But sometimes just through asking questions, you can kind of not only just listen to them, but help them kind of come to their own conclusion on that topic yeah. depending on what it is yeah love that so we're we're big believers in the power of questions like so that's why i love that one i wrote down of yours what's keeping up at night um what else anything else come to mind that's been a really powerful like your go-to type of questions for you um my go-to question when i had a large enablement team was what's one thing i could take off your plate that would be life-changing to you oh wow uh, yeah, that's cool. And so I couldn't always just take that thing off their plate, but I might be able to reduce some friction or give them guidance or use the rest of that one-on-one -on -one as a strategy session or whatever it was, because then it's like, what's that one thing? And then why would it be such a change, like a difference maker if I could do that for you? Well, yeah. I'm just not confident in this. I just don't know enough. Okay, let's strategize together. Do you just want a sounding board? Oh, that would be great. That would get me into the momentum yeah. mindset. Well, I have a draft, but I want feedback before I spend another three hours on this. Okay, great. Let's look at it right now, right? It just kind of helps get to exactly what they need to feel like they can continue to drive that thing forward. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's it's driven by them. You, your questions just bring out the answers. You're not giving them answers. Yes. And it's a question they don't get that often. So just yeah. the question in and of itself is such a mind shift. It's kind of like when you meet someone for the first time and if you just go through the doldrums and you're like, hey, how are you? And what do you do? How do you know this person? Yeah. Right? The same three questions that almost everybody asks at like a networking event or a yep. birthday party or whatever. But if you introduce yourself and you say something, they're like, hey, how, you know, how's it going? And you're like, oh, you know, I'm surviving. Like just something yeah. that just changes up the neurotransmitters for a second just to catch yeah. you and go, that was interesting. That was not what I was expecting. Tell me more. Yeah. It, yeah. It's that kind of an idea. Yeah. Yeah. Pattern interruption. Yeah. I love that you mentioned neurotransmitters. Yeah. And tell me more is another great one. Just having your back pocket. Like I try, go, I try to consciously go back to that all the time, just to, especially in discovery calls. Like, tell me more. Yes. Tell me more. Yeah. I coach my team all the time. If somebody says something, we're in tech. So a lot of times it's a lot of acronyms and things like that. Yeah. And sometimes you're talking to a specialist who can go like right into like all these SEO or like very specific terminology. And you can, especially if you don't understand anything, they said, tell me more. What does that mean to your business? It makes yeah. them simplify so you can follow it's, along without you having to pretend to know anything that you didn't no, know yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. So what we've been talking about here is essentially coaching. Right, like it's it's this process, and it's clear from talking to you that you intuitively know how 
to coach people. One, um, my next question then becomes: You're you're the head of enablement for trust radius. I'm pretty sure you're not able to coach every single person on that revenue team. I am not. Yeah. So let's talk about scale. Let's talk about programmatizing this. How are you doing that? How are you taking your intuitive understanding of how to coach? Because I think we can all agree, and I think a lot, almost everyone listening will agree that coaching is probably one of the most important like cornerstone elements. I'd say that like we, we're in the business of creating learning experiences for companies, right? Learning systems. And the number one reason our stuff will fail is because it's not reinforced through coaching, right? So that's, that to me, it's like the most important thing. And so we do a lot teaching how to coach and then we also make it part of the process. Um, so yeah, just curious, like how do you think about that scale, programmatizing? How do you get more Katie's out there? Yeah, so um, I don't get more Katie's out there in the sense that <laughs> If my goal is to make everybody the best version of themselves, the first rule of that is trying not to make everybody look like me, right? Because that's yeah. the first manager, biggest cardinal sin. Of, well, that worked for me, so everyone should just do it the way that I did. Yeah. Um, but I do believe in frameworks and methodologies that are proven over time. And yeah. a wonderful uh, person that I worked with in the past named Steve Richard, uh, did mm-hmm. a training early on in my enablement career where he actually taught us about the two by two uh, focus of where you should coach. Um, and so mm. it's really just four squares, two by two. Uh, and mm-hmm. on one axis, it's level of effort. And on one axis, it is outcomes. So mm-hmm. people who have low outcomes, and have low level of effort is where most managers spend their time trying to motivate someone who doesn't show any effort. And that is a waste of time and a big frustration point uh, Mm. across the board. Where people should be spending their time is in the upper quadrant of that same side, people who are putting forth a lot of effort but aren't seeing the outcomes yet. Those are people who are hungry for it and are ready to use it and they're going to see the biggest opportunities. And then yeah. on the other side of your two squares on the bottom, you have people with great outcomes, but don't have to put forth a lot of effort. Those often are your more senior folks mm-hmm. who already have it all down. But mm-hmm. understanding what motivates them can also help you get more coaches who already know mm-hmm. how to do it and how to get those outcomes and help you yeah. with those people and that top uh, left-hand quadrant that are showing yeah. lots of effort but aren't quite hitting it. And then you have the people who are doing lots of effort and getting lots of outcomes. That's your final uh, square in this two-by-two. Two. In the upper yeah. right-hand side, how do you help them drop the level of effort and still see those outcomes? So you really want to focus yeah. your efforts on those on those top two. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That, that actually... There is such a thing as too much effort and burnouts and, and all that. So yeah, being cognizant of that. Um, the bottom left, I'm assuming no effort, no no outcomes, bottom left. Um, what do you do with those people? Is that like coach them out of the company? Uh, so I have been very lucky to, especially in the startup world, work with amazing HR professionals um, that really focus on doing performance improvement plans or pips early yeah 
because you want to show them the way, not show them the door. And so by showing them what the expectations in terms of a level of effort should be and why that is, is really key. But until you show me that you're willing to at least give it that many at-bats with what we've covered so far, then you haven't earned the right to get coached. Yeah. No, I think that's, I love that. Show them the way, not the door. Yes. Um, and, and give people a chance and really show that they are, you are there to support them. Yes. Um, but, but ultimately at some point, you know, they have to show the effort and that's the thing that they're going to be. Exactly. And it actually helps them too. So if you go to a new company and you're in sales and you get overwhelmed or you realize it's not a great fit, usually level of effort is a direct indicator of you're already withdrawing. And to be able to look at your resume and have someone from HR and enablement and your manager tell you, maybe this isn't the right, like, I'm, you know, if you want to do this, this is what you need to do and you're still not doing it. It's a lot easier on your next interview to say, yep, I have this three month goal in my resume. I tried a startup coming from Dell and it was not the right case. And the fit for me. So that's why I want to come work for you at Oracle because I do love how much structure there is and there is a promotion path. And I missed out on all of those things. And you can actually really hone in on what you didn't get when you thought this new thing was going to give you that it didn't. So it actually helps them too to have a smaller hole in their resume or their talk track of success. Mm -hmm. Um, And it helps you as the company because you would rather, I mean, it's expensive to have reps on your payroll and the heavy tech stacks that we have, like the, the cog yeah. impact is real. And so if it isn't the right yeah. fit, why wait six or nine months for them to fail out? Yeah. That's not good for their ego. That's not good for their paycheck. That's not good for you. Yeah. It's a, it's a lose. Yeah. So actually helping them to find that balance is better. And, and with that approach of showing them the way versus showing them the door, we actually had a 50% bounce up rate. Instead of Mm. if you just wait until you show them the door, you have like a 90% bounce out rate, right? Uh, Or more. And of the 50% that bounced out, many of them became our top sellers because Mm. we helped them see, yes, we're going to ask you to do 100 things. But if you do these five things really well, those are the core things that are going to be the North Star of you consistently hitting your number. Well, and that's the key thing here, I find as well, is that it's not... We're in the middle of a of a um, proposal right now where the the CRO wants an onboarding, right? And that it's very important. We definitely have to have that there. Um, but you know, I, to me, to me, we sell learning ecosystems. Like it's the onboarding is a part of it, and there's it's so much more than that. There's so much more like on all the stuff you and I have been talking about around manager reinforcement and coaching. Um, and so it's like, you know, there's. Like there's some some stuff you can put out there that's just going to be one and done. But in, in most cases, like people are not going to absorb all the information that they're given, especially in those first 90 days, right? So go, being able to go back to it and also sort of understanding that they're not going to do that and saying, we're going to go back to it. And so in, week, in, in the month four and month five and six, we're going to identify, like you said, the one thing to work on this month or this week or whatever it is. And then let's, and let's layer it. Like just keep doing it like that. But if you goes back to also what you said right at the beginning, which is that 1% improvement, right? So if you keep doing those 1% improvements, that's compounding. Yes, 
Exactly. And going back to the onboarding piece, this ties back to going way back into the advertising world too. Most people, when you think about it from an advertising standpoint and advertising 101, they talk about the fact that you need three to seven impressions or see the same thing that many times before it like connects and you actually pay attention to it. Um, Learning is very similar. And so to your point of, and I tell this to all my new hires when I'm onboarding them, I'm going to walk you through these things. I'm going to break it down to the smallest component for the core important things that are going to be key to your job and selling the value of what this is. You're going to hear them five, 10, 15 times, different ways. I'm not just going to repeat the same thing to you, but I want you to get a really good foundation. And then I want to keep building like Legos on those things that matter Mm -hmm. most in this experience. So if you hear something for the fifth time or the tenth time or whatever, and I'm going to start asking you the question and wanting to hear it from you and not just hear me say it or see me presented on a slide or in the uh, pointed out in the platform. Um, mm. That's that's a key part of this as well. Um, and yeah. not to be so like teacher-like, but mm-hmm. to be uh, a connector of ideas. And to help yeah. them get that their own golden thread of the value prop or of what this can like the real true business issues that this can help someone overcome. And here are the things that I heard on that call. What did it make you think of from yeah. a problems that we can help people solve? Don't get into products yet, just problems. What did you yeah. hear is his the problems that he said on this call? And they're like, oh, well, this and then that type. No, no, I don't ask for product nope. stuff yet. That's the yeah. problem. Great. What's the impact of that problem? Yeah. Oh, well, if they don't do this, then they're not going to hit that number. And what's that number? Yeah. Oh, it's this much. Okay. Could they? Do you think he could lose his job if he doesn't hit that number? Yep. Okay. Now talk now about the product. <laughs> yeah, now exactly. talk about the product and how it can help him and not only save his job in that situation possibly yeah but also like make him the hero in that situation so now you have a story that's worth calling versus hearing Mm -hmm. just scratching the surface of oh you have this problem great this is what you need no i want all of that to come out from him through your discovery then you get to help him come to the conclusion that that he needs to solve this key to his job it's key to his team's success to solve this here is one way that you could do that. And this is what you think it's best. Yeah. And it's his idea. Like exactly. It becomes his idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, this is all. And, and yeah, going back to the point of coaching this, it's like, get that right first, then learn about the product and figure out how to position it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Oh, I mean, I, I could go on for, for a lot more. Like there's so much nuance to this where we can talk about the actual stuff you're coaching and then the act of coaching. I want to try and keep it at the at the act of coaching level here as well. And I, I, again, I want to go back to that question of how you, it, maybe a better way to phrase the question is how do you enable your sales leaders and your managers to coach in this way that we've just been talking about? What, what sort of tactical, practical stuff are you doing? Yeah. So number one is exactly where you landed, which is to start, don't try to solve their problems, which as a manager, especially a frontline manager, normally your job is to remove barriers and to solve problems for people. <laughs> right, um, right. And so don't, I'm not saying stop that in other ways, 
But mm-hmm. when you're actively trying to coach, your job is not to jump on and start doing it for them, right? You never see the head coach of the Texans take the quarterback out and go in in their in their place. Uh, mm-hmm. But you yeah. all the time will see managers on sales calls jump in and take the reins from their salesperson, whether they need it or not. Uh, and yeah. so when you're coaching one of the hardest things is to not always give them the answer and help them derive the answer themselves, just like you're trying to do with your prospects. It's so much more meaningful. And as a parent, I've learned this lesson very mm. uh, on like a whole nother level yeah. <laughs> uh, and trying yeah. to do this with teenagers. Um, but you don't, your job is not, especially when you have your coach's hat on, your job is to even if you know they're going to fail or make the mistake or not do it perfectly, give them the space to do it. And then before you critique them, ask them what they thought went well and Mm. ask them what they self-identify as something they need to work on. Mm. And then help them with the thing that they want help with first. Even if you saw three other things, they self-identified one thing, great. That means they have the motivation to work on that thing. Go help them with that first. Yeah. Then yeah. do it again. Now that that's better, great. What else do you want help with? Where else could it be better? And help them there. Help them where yeah. they've identified they want it. And if they are stuck or if they're missing, if they're trying to get coached on something small when they missed a big thing, then ask questions to help them get back to that point. So you might have to direct them a little bit, but most reps, once they self-assess, they've hit on one or two things that were on your list, start there, and then mm. earn that trust to be able to go deeper. Mm. Beautiful answer. I, I love that you went straight to first principles there and you didn't go into like, you know, we give them meetings in a box and, you know, all the tools and the resources and all that. Like that stuff you can create later, but you've got to start with the the first principles like you laid out there and just get people in the habit and actually repeat yourself a lot, right? Like obviously model that behavior, demonstrate it and just repeat yourself. It, those first principles are really all it is. That's what coaching is. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, well said. Um, all right. So last couple of questions to, to round this out, Katie, it's been so fun um, talking about this topic with you. Um, what are you learning right now what are you reading maybe it's a book maybe it's a podcast you just listen to what's like the most alive for you in your own learning journey so i am reading a book about writing better okrs um so being a people person and if you haven't you can't tell from last 35 minutes of talking uh (laughs) i really enjoy the people aspect and the psychological aspect and the connection aspect of my job um but i also understand that i work for a business and i need to have measurable outcomes and make data-driven decisions as well and i think Mm. that there's a beautiful balance between those two things i've seen it in my tech career work really really well but it's not a place where i'm naturally really uh good at so i think reading books and uh listening to people who are much more analytically inclined uh as a as a first set of skills and strengths 
uh, is something that I very much value because I mm. want not only people to feel the impact of the efforts that I am focused on for the business and for the team, but I want them to also see that in metrics. And I, until I had that for myself, I didn't realize how important it was for myself as well to yeah. feel like from the feedback from people that are like, oh my gosh, you changed the tra trajectory of my sales career. Like, this is amazing. Like that yeah. feels really good. But when you have someone saying that and then you see, oh yeah, before we did onboarding and before they had enablements, half of the reps were failing out in the first six months and now only 20% fail out. And if they do, they fail out faster. And then they still reach out to me and say, Katie, all the onboarding stuff was great and I am really good at sales. I'm at this job. I've already made President's Club. I'm nine months in. Mm -hmm. I just want you to know that you didn't waste your time on me. That company or that product just wasn't the right fit. Like that's, yeah. that's the thing that's that really awesome. is very, it, it hits on all the levels. It hits the heart on the hub. And that's, that's mm -hmm. where I'm really focusing my effort and trying to be smarter and learn more from people who are really good at that today. Mm. I love that. You answered my other question because I was going to ask you, why do you do what you do? And I think you just, you just described that. Oh, yeah. So starting in advertising and then moving into marketing and then going into enablement, the same skill sets, the same project management efforts of doing the focus groups and talking to people and pulling out themes and creating campaigns and programs that are going to help with those things, whether it's an internal audience or an external audience, all of those things are very similar. The reason that... I fell in love with enablement is I get to do all of my favorite things from all of those jobs, plus have that connection with the team. See the impact, not just in the numbers of, oh, our click-through rate is 57% higher with this campaign and that saved us $2,700 on this campaign. If we move more money over, then that could be this. It's actually seeing metrics and, and helping companies grow in a sustainable, scalable way, which is amazing, mm. but also to see the human element of it, of like seeing someone buy their first house because they've yeah. consistently hit their sales number for five quarters in a row and have mm -hmm. that confidence that that's what they want to do going forward. Um, yeah. And they, they had never sold anything five quarters before. So it really was a journey that we took together and to just have a little bit um, an impact on that towns all the sales reps that I've supported in the 10 plus years I've been doing this it goes a long way to feeling like it's worth the long hours and the tough conversations and everything mm. in between mm. beautifully beautifully put and it, another golden thread for you is those aha moments that you had in those intern interviews you were doing and, and you get now with, with, uh, with the reps and managers that you work with yes um Katie, this has been so great uh, to to unpack this topic. I feel like we've just skimmed the iceberg here in, in terms of how much deeper we could go in all this stuff. So I look forward to many more conversations with you. Um, we're going to put links to your your LinkedIn and, and definitely encourage folks to get in touch with you um, through that and, and to follow your posts there. And um, yeah, just thank you for taking the time to come and share these insights with us. I love that. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. 
Hello, hello. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It's Andrew again with a quick message. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us ratings and reviews where you listened. If you're on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe buttons and feel free to leave a comment. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to give us a rating and leave a review. Once again, we love hearing from our loyal listeners. If you're listening to this on Spotify, please hit the follow button to make sure that you don't miss new episodes as they come out. See you next week for another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening.